Welcome into the Solar Insights Podcast. My name is Eric Sarr. We got Gina Mizell here, the queen of suns content, to talk, talk to us about the suns. We got actual suns in July. It is in Summer League, where actually good people will play. We got the Orlando bubble. We got journalism to talk about. Lots of stuff. How's it going, Gina? I am doing well. Uh, happy, like you said, that there's actual basketball things happening, or at least worth talking about, and <laughs> just hoping that everybody is staying safe and healthy and sane out there right now. Absolutely. So uh, we'll start off with just a kind of um, excited to to look forward to seeing Aiton and Booker and whoever's going playing. Um, I've heard, I mean, Ubre was not going to play and then he has been ruled out technically. I don't know. Feels like it's a little bit iffy. Have you heard anything about exactly who? And then so a couple people reported um, uh, as people who got the virus. Uh, do we know who those people are yet? I haven't seen it out there. No, I, I don't know um, which players specifically have tested positive. Um, kudos to Dwayne Rankin from the Arizona Republic for getting that uh, first last week. Mm. So we might have more information later on um, before the team leaves for Orlando just because we're supposed to uh, – we're talking with James Jones on Monday. Um, but, yeah, that's sort, of, that's sort of where that's at. And then as far as Oubre, um, yeah, when Monty Williams talked – Earlier this week to reporters for the first time in a while, he did not, or like you said, rule him out or or kind of go that route. But then when we talked to DeAndre Ayton yesterday, he basically confirmed, he confirmed without confirming that Uber wasn't <laughs> going to be playing and talking about that, well, Kelly's energy is with us all the time and okay. it's a bummer that we can't play with him, but we're still going to have his spirit with us. So um basically confirmed without saying yes he's not playing so i think it's safe to assume that the initial reporting on that was correct and that he will be continuing to rehab his knee in orlando rather than playing and makes sense and i do want to go into um Ubre uh, late down the line but of course his um kind of camaraderie and what he brings to the team is in terms of energy whether he's on the court or not is quite infectious and one of the bigger things i've seen in the last decade of covering this team on how much they've uh like it's it's one of the biggest culture changes of one player that i've ever seen yeah it was pretty immediate as far as just his just his persona his personality um his energy i hate to keep using that word but i think that's probably what makes the most sense and i mean even from his first game in boston i remember being there last year and just he's like already blowing kisses to the crowd and all of that and and so i think that initially hooked suns fans in and and teammates in and that's just continued obviously him and ayton are kind of the brain children behind the uh, the valley boys mantra and that's mm-hmm. become a a, a clothing line and just a, a slogan that fans use and and so even though he isn't going to be able to go in Orlando, which makes total sense given his situation with his knee. Uh, just having him there and having that swag with the team, I think, will will be a, a big boost, at least emotionally and spiritually. So I think he'll go with them, even though he's not going to play in the bubble. It sounds, yeah, I, w- I would. It sounds like that's what's going to happen. Um, so I mean, I guess that could change, and obviously they're being very strict with the the number of the traveling parties that can go but um like yeah 50 it, or it, something right exactly and, and I, we've seen that with some other players too like uh victor oladipo was just announced today that he's not going to play but still plans to go to orlando uh, i can't remember well 
before all the social justice stuff started popping up, I, I know that Kyrie Irving was maybe thinking about going, or it's just, I, it, it sounds like it's sort of up in the air as far as injured players and who's going to be there and who's not, but we'll, we'll see once all these teams get down there in a couple of weeks. Yeah, it certainly seems like it's not so much about the COVID-19 stuff as it is about um, uh, free agency, basically, um, or recent, soon, soon to be free agents. Um, needing to um, not avoid, like just avoid playing games that are one one the two three months they've had off as well as just like not watching out for injury for games that are um, much more fluctuation than they would be, like the, when we had the last eight games or whatever fifteen seventeen games if we'd run it through March through April um, than they are now for sure. Yeah, and I think each player who's either choosing to go or choosing not to go like it's a it's a very personal choice if somebody is injured and just doesn't want to risk potentially this weird ramp up and and schedule of games in a in a strange location like that makes sense if somebody is concerned about covid and and either for themselves or a family member Mm -hmm. or something like that then that makes sense if you know gordon hayward told reporters i think it was this morning that his wife is pregnant and yeah. is due in September and he's going to leave if, if she goes into labor, which makes total sense and he should absolutely do that. Yeah. Or if it's somebody like Dwight Howard who's trying to figure out is he going to go or is he going to stay and focus on social justice, like mm-hmm. that is, is, is a total valid reason as well. I mean, I think every – this is such a unique time in our society that I feel like whatever choice – anybody makes in this type of situation whether to go or to not go i think the human thing to do and the right thing to do is is respect that i don't mm-hmm. i don't think there's any other option that you can have just given the i hate to use the word un, or the term unprecedented times because it feels so overdone <laughs> at this point but it truly is so um yeah it's going to be just very interesting to see what every team looks like down in orlando because it sounds like you know every, every team's probably got at least one person that's considering maybe not going or already knows they're not going, or at least just every, every team makeup is unique as far as their players are concerned and, and what they want to do. Absolutely. And it's so interesting because the NBA is being very loose in the right way about it, right? Like you're saying, mm-hmm. being respectful of them, but they have to have the season for the TV contracts. You can't just yep. rip up the CBA and nobody gets paid and nobody, and they have to renegotiate midway. It's just not going to work for anybody really. It's the entire infrastructure falls apart. Again, if there was, this is about money. And obviously there's a a sense of wanting to finish out the season and sort of the mental closure of all of that. But if we want to get down to the nitty gritty, this is about money. It's about those TV contracts, like you said. It's about player salaries and just the overall revenue of the league. And if, if really we were only concerned about health and safety and the the easiest thing to do or the thing that made the most sense to do, it would have been to cancel the season or yeah. the rest of the season in March or April. Like once we were, once it was clear that this was going to be a long haul toward the end as far as the virus is concerned. But um, that's that's not what this is about. And I'm not begrudging Adam Silver or anybody who wants to make as much money as they can or try to salvage it for that reason. I mean, this is a multi-billion dollar international enterprise. And so I, I totally get it from the commissioner's perspective, from team perspectives, from player perspectives, like why they would want to try to play. But uh, that's that's the primary driving force at this point. And to ignore that would be a little naive, I think. Yeah, and so many people rely on it. It's not just like the mm-hmm. player. The players, how many people does, how many people does each player 
the support. <laughs> like, how many yeah, does, does each exactly. team and everybody support in terms of people who are making more normal salaries um, and, and that are not the players? I mean, we all feel, we all, as we write and discuss this stuff in such a high level, such a deep level in terms of the players and the teams, uh, we sometimes forget about the infrastructure that's around them, that this is so key and, and important too. Exactly. I mean, they're they're humans, like I've, I've said before, just and and whether it's they're supporting themselves or they're supporting their family or um, just extended relatives or the people that they employ as part of their team. Um, no, there's a lot of things at play. And I mean, again, this is we know that in this country, a lot of people have lost their job. A lot of people have taken furloughs or pay cuts or like people, our economic structure has been heavily impacted just nationwide by this whole situation. And so, again, I don't begrudge anybody who's maybe lost out on some money to try to make some of that back, not just for themselves, but also for the people who they, they need to or are, are currently supporting right now. Yep. Absolutely. Good. Well said. Um, in terms of, uh, let's switch a little bit to basketball in this bubble. How do you think it's going to play out? Like, some, just there was something, I think it was yesterday, that the Lakers feel like their odds have improved because they're actually fully healthy now, and everyone can really say that. I think, I mean, uh, the Trailblazers getting Nurkic and uh, Collins back yeah. really gives them kind of a, a, good, a good reason, right, to be in the hunt as they were, I think, ninth, what, ninth, tenth, and now they can have a really good shot, chance with a full squad to uh, move forward there. Uh, Memphis is going to try to hang on to the eighth seed. What do you, how do you feel like it's going to play out uh, at least differently or the same as it would normally? Yeah, I think health is obviously a huge indicator. And, and you look at, yeah, the Lakers, you look at a team like Philadelphia with Ben Simmons and his back getting healthy. Uh, Portland is certainly an example. I would say probably the team that, and forgive me if I'm like spacing out on a, another team, but probably the team that is hurt the most is, is Utah because of Bogdanovich and, and him uh, undergoing surgery and, and being out now for the Orlando restart. Now, he's not... Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, but he's a really important player on yeah. their team, and so he seems that that seems to be the team that's maybe most adversely affected by all of this. But mm. um, yeah, I, I think it did offer a chance for these guys to get healthy, and even for the Suns team, yeah. they're obviously not necessarily realistically challenging for a playoff spot. They will tell you that they are, but if we look at just straightly at the numbers, it's going to be very tough for them to even force the play-in tournament. But um, you know, Ubre obviously out, but Frank Kaminsky is healthy. Um, you know, Cam Johnson has recovered from mononucleosis. DeAndre mm -hmm. Ayton had a bone bruise on his foot when the league stopped. And so just kind of all these nagging injuries that had, had prevented this team from really putting a full healthy lineup on the floor. This is now the healthiest they've been in quite some time. And yes, they'll be missing a key piece in Ubre, and, and he's a guy that starts and scores, you know, 18 points a game and, and does a lot for you on the floor. But uh, I think this presents an opportunity for Monty Williams to really try to tinker with some lineups, try some different things with personnel groupings or style of play or different things that we didn't even really see during the season because just they didn't have their full complement of players available. Yeah, and then people have mentioned this on Twitter. We've been discussing it. And the weird thing about how this has worked, and I'm curious to see the lineups, like you said, is that you almost the, the Suns have three wings, and you kind of want them all <laughs> to start at the same time. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like the best lineup is pretty much, um, in other, I mean, Ricky is amazing, right? But the best lineup pretty much is Booker, um, Johnson, Ubre, Bridges, and Aiton. And it's like, but you only have two of them now. You have Johnson and Bridges, and they should both play pretty much all the time. But I don't know. We'll see what happens with them that actually do. 
Yeah, well, even you look back to um, just basically any lineup that had, it was uh, Rubio, Booker, Bridges, Oubre, and then whoever played center, whether it was DeAndre Ayton or Aaron Baines, uh-huh. and those lineups were really good. And yes. so I, before it, before we knew that Oubre was most likely not going to play in Orlando, I was really curious to see what those looked like in some more extended minutes. So mm-hmm. we won't get that, um, but but yeah, getting a lot of chance. And again, Mikhail Bridges is going to get a chance to start. Camp Johnson is obviously going to get a lot of playing time. So for those young wings that maybe have a little bit more to prove, this I think will be a pretty golden opportunity for them to play a lot and to – um, you know, show what they did during the hiatus and, and really kind of continue to expand on, I think both of them have had pretty solid seasons overall. And so to kind of maybe have a chance to finish that out on a good note is, is a positive for Phoenix. I mean, if I remember correctly, like recently, Cam Johnson supposedly built a lot of muscle. And didn't mm-hmm. Mikhail Bridges, like, wasn't he on a shooting like streak? Like to end in March, it's been feels like it's been a year and a half since then. But <laughs> right, yeah, I mean he he was shooting the ball well. I I don't have the numbers in front of me as yeah, far as what exactly he he was shooting. But um, even going back to before the All Star break, like I remember that game in Boston where he, he oh, was yeah. just bombing away from three, and you're like, where has this been all season? But yeah, even even going you know fast forward a, a few more weeks and. And you finally started to see some of that consistency from him because obviously you already know what he brings on the defensive end of the floor and he's only going to continue to evolve and develop on that end. But if he can become a consistent outside shooter, then that's a guy who's, I mean, I already think he's going to play in the league for a long time, but that becomes like a really crucial role player for for a lot of, you know, I I could fit in on any team essentially. And so, yeah, if he can become an offensive threat, and, and maybe even expand his game a little bit, but most importantly, be that consistent outside shooter, then that's going to be huge, I think, for the Suns moving forward, just as far as continuing to develop the kind of nucleus of their team moving forward. I mean, absolutely. I think he hit five or six in a game. And then I was actually at the Aaron Baines one in Phoenix where he hit yeah. nine. I was like, and it's like a, just a hilarious thing in sports, like Suns Twitter. It's just like, is every single player going to hit seven threes before Booker does, even though he's way better than all of them? Right. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, that Aaron Baines game was just because I think that was maybe the second, second to last, last yeah. or third to last game before everything shut down. And, it, and it's just like a random Friday night in March. It was the day before my birthday, actually. And I just remember being like, this is what can happen in the NBA okay. on a random night in the middle of March where you just it's it's not, you know, a playoff series. It's not opening night. It's just this random Friday. And Aaron Baines randomly just decides to go bonkers. The best one was. It was near, it was on my side of the court because I was like 104 or something like that. And like, he hit a step back on like McCollum or Lillard or something. Yes. It was so funny. I was dying. That was the best. Because I went with my friend who was a Trailblazers fan and it was hilarious. Yeah, when Aaron Baines can smoke you from three, that's, yeah. I mean, Aaron Baines has been a blast to Mm -hmm. watch and cover this year. So um, that was just kind of, I feel like, the icing on the cake to his season um but no just weird things can happen in the nba on every on any given night and that was certainly one of them and that was my one of my questions is what do you think that uh like do you think the covid part and all this stuff is going to make it easier or harder for the suns to re-sign Aaron Baines? it's a great question contract? yeah no that's a great question not only just because of just the the stoppage in play and all that stuff but just depending on what happens with the salary cap just because of the 
lost revenue and all that, um, what does that do, not just for the Suns, but as far as his overall market value or just what teams can offer him and, and all of that. So, no, I mean, the whole front court situation is going to be really interesting to, to sort of follow this, I almost said this summer, but we're in the summer, this <laughs> fall, when free agency actually opens up, uh, just because, yeah, Aaron Baines is an unrestricted free agent, Dario Saric is a restricted free agent. Frank Kaminsky and Czech Diallo both have team options. And so if you like let all of them go, then suddenly you have DeAndre Ayton and nobody else. Um, and if you maybe try to take a bigger swing for maybe to upgrade the power forward position, then you don't have as much money to bring back some of those other pieces. Or do you just run it back because for a number of reasons um, yeah. and, and kind of go with the same group? I don't know. It's going to be... That's definitely, there are a few priorities, obviously, for this team in the offseason, but I think that's certainly the, the top of the list as far as figuring things out. I mean, one of them is, is do we, can we ever cobble together a backup point guard? That'd be great. <laughs> yes. Um, that, we have yeah, six of them now. campaign is coming to the rescue, didn't oh, you? Oh, know? yeah. I love it. They have all the people from the 2015 draft. Um, I think they have 9, 13, 14, 15 from the 15 draft. Yeah, it's it's crazy. There's that there was that photo that was circulating on Twitter or social media somewhere where it's it's Booker, Ubre, Payne, and Kaminsky all in the same photo, and I'm like, this is wild. But that just shows you how it's just a small how, world, and and guys are connected from the time they leave college all the way now to uh, to their pro careers. I love how Kaminsky is with the ninth pick. <laughs> yes, exactly. I know. Oh yeah, that that draft was weird. That draft was weird. Um, and so, how what do you think about Ubre then? Because I believe he still has one more year left, um, and so he's now it's now that point where, um, like most likely, right, he would be either traded or re-upped at the trade deadline, um, or in in some way. Uh, whether you do you find him, it's definitely going to be shopped. I was I would assume in some way people are going to be yeah. asked about him. Um, yeah. Do you think that it's going to be because he's played so well that's like in a reasonable someone's going to throw him the like his max or whatever, or do you think it's going to be a little bit more of a prove, prove it contract? No, it's going to be, again, fascinating to see what happens with him because, as you mentioned, first of all, the Suns have, not it's not a logjam at wing, but they obviously have some nice depth and some different types of players at that position. And so if there was a spot where you could maybe try to trade somebody, uh, that seems to be the position group. And just given... Uber situation, um, maybe that is the, the piece that you shop in order to try to take a big swing of some sort. And his name was even floated during the trade deadline this past year. And so, um, yeah, going into this season, I think that if you look at trade chips for this team, he suddenly is at the top of the list. And that's not because the Suns want to get rid of him necessarily. It's just because he has the unique circumstances where it's a contract year he's been a really productive um player for this team he he's still pretty young and and could be really enticing i think to a lot of other teams and he does kind of have that like we mentioned before that persona that energy that i mean he would bring that to any team he was playing on because it's it's hysterical because i feel like anytime i tweet about Kelly Oubre like a bunch of Washington Wizards fans still like pop into my mentions yeah. because they still love him even though he hasn't been there for two years so uh, I think he's a really interesting enticing type of piece and again it wouldn't be because the Suns want to get rid of him or, or want to try to get rid of him it's just because he kind of fits that bill as far as if you want to go for and maybe upgrade at another position so and you have to think about the future too because obviously Devin Booker is already on his max contract. He'll be in his second year of that next year. 
but DeAndre Ayton and Mikhail Bridges are going to come up at the same time because they were part of the same draft class. Um, And so how do you just continue to sort of tinker with the finances when you have a lot of young players and, and figuring out what to do from there. So no, Kelly is going to be an interesting piece to look at because just of all, all the circumstances kind of coalesce and, and that sort of makes him, I think a, a prime trade target both to, to deal him from the sun's perspective or someone that other teams would want to try to snag just because of, of the fact that he's on an expiring contract. Yeah. It's interesting because I think uh, Bridges and agent have two more years left. Um, and then so it's going to get, I mean, they're not unreasonable, right? $7 million for the uh, qualifying offer and where's the other one? And a $16 million, which is, I mean, for the number one pick, that's right. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> and so, um, and he's, gonna, he's, he's getting there with the defensive uh, ability that he's seeing. Where I need to go look at uh, Mike Schmidt's article on, on that, uh, the specifics. Um, but I obviously we watched all the games. We saw, we saw it happen uh, in terms of doing the Tim Duncan thing of keeping the ball alive but still defending. Um, and just really seeing that, so I like that. Um, in terms of the trading thing, to get back to that for a second, though, I saw one that was uh, some sort of mock trade, right, uh, with Oladipo, and I was like, I'm not so sure about that because he plays same position as Booker. I don't want to yeah. put him over Ru- Rubio, and I don't want to smush Cam Johnson or Mikhail Bridges as small forward. I'm like, you need to go for the best power forward you possibly can think of if you're going to do anything. Because Sarge, yeah. Kaminsky, you, you don't want Ubre or any of them to have to play up for too long. Um, and so if you have a solid power forward, like Derek Favors in his prime, which I don't think he is anymore, but anyway, that's who you're going after. Yeah, exactly. No, when I, I saw the Oladipo thing that you're referring to, and I also had the exact same thought, like this doesn't make much sense to me. Um, and it sort of feels like, I remember one time this season I was doing like a mailbag or a live chat or something and somebody asked, and this was before um, Bradley Beal signed his extension, but asked about Bradley Beal and I was like, why would you trade for Bradley Beal when he plays also plays shooting guard um so it it's yeah I think you've got your you've got your scoring guard you've got your center as far as your pieces for the future and you've got a couple of really nice young wings that you think will be at least complementary pieces and and really good role players for you at least in Bridges case I think that's his, his ceiling for sure and so no you you go out and you get a, an upgrade at power forward if, if that's the trade you're trying to make so um yeah it's that I, I, I yeah Derek Favors in his prime that's a that's a good like oh that would be a nice player to get I don't really know who fits the bill in that Not right Aaron now Gordon. I mean Kevin Love was who was brought up all last year because of his unhappiness in Cleveland but it's like okay that's a lot of money to pay somebody who's now on the downside of his career and not at all aligned with Booker and Aiton's window or yeah. prime or however you want to say it but uh, yeah I don't know it's or again do you go after Gallinari and free agency or something like that like that seems to be the more likely options as far as where you would upgrade as far as like the roster position yeah interestingly like like all I am is like not Aaron Gordon Aaron Gordon I was very much Kevin Love just because I always use that uh the uh big three of the Spurs and Kawhi Leonard as like you don't need to have them all be in the same age like within three three years of each That's other true. Like, it doesn't have to be you can eventually, eventually you can, right? Your, your core is, but you can have a guy be your linchpin to help finish that out and be heaven be Kevin Love, and that's I'd be totally fine with that. Um, I'm not so much of an Aaron Gordon, just like the Bradley Beal thing, right? I don't want that. It's it can mesh, but like we say, like you can have some of these players they can play up or down a, a from their actual spot, but you don't want them starting there and doing that for a long period of time. 
because it won't be conducive to winning basketball, probably. So Kevin Love, Gallinari, though, he'd be up there. He's, I mean, <laughs> he's like 33, I'm thinking. Yeah, no, I, I think if you, if, he, he would sort of, I guess, fall in the same age range as, as Kevin Love, but uh, that's just, if you're looking at big name free agents or, yeah. or guys that are going to command a lot of money, but would be a significant upgrade at the position, like that, he, he falls into that category. He would help a lot because then the Suns would always have shooters. Like exactly. Sarge tried pretty well today, and I, he's he's both better than I thought at some points and worse than I thought at some points <laughs> in terms of some of the things. Poor guy, I just feel like he's hurting himself when he's rubbing up and down the floor, though. Um, he looks like he's just breaking his bones, trying to trying to cut and do some stuff. But he's 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 hits a three. He rebounds amazingly well for a power forward, and just gets the stuff done and passes really well. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I like I said, I'm really curious to see what direction that they try to go, just because I think they probably had a plan pre-COVID, and now the Suns, just like the whole rest of the league, I think are waiting to see what exactly happens with the salary cap and how that potentially hampers various teams, because it's it's going to, and the Suns are definitely in that category of, this could screw up what you were trying to do. It's so, going down. <laughs> um, which is, COVID has screwed up every, like, it's screwed up something for every single person on the face of the earth. Yep. So it's just, it's just very indicative of what's going on in society right now that any plans that you thought you had are no longer the plans. Yeah, none of that. None of that's happening. <laughs> um, what do you think, like, before we get to the journalism stuff, what do you think about, like, just the rest of the, how this uh, bubble's going to work and the playoffs and, um, people having, like, no home court, trying to get, like, other rule changes to get some home court in this bubble with some different different tiers of hotels. Yeah, it's it's going to be weird. I mean, just overall. And, and I, you know, we've obviously seen some of the things like, oh, should the team that has the higher seed get an extra foul or something, some other sort of reward for being the higher seed? And that just seems a little a little crazy but also if you would have told me a year ago that oh we're gonna play the playoffs in september and october at disney world in a bubble because there's a global pandemic i also (laughs) would have thought that was weird so i guess anything's on the table at this point but as far as like the effect of, of potential games or how it's played or whatnot um it'll i think obviously in these eight seating games Suddenly, the four-five matchup. Who cares if you finish in fourth or fifth? Because it doesn't matter. There's no more home court advantage. But I, yeah, I don't. I wonder how just the atmosphere is going to change things. Um, DeAndre Ayton was actually asked about that yesterday, and, and he said, you know, pretty much every guy is used to playing in AAU tournaments where there's no one in the stands besides people's parents, and you, you figure that. out how to yeah. get some juice and, and whatnot, and you mostly get that from your teammates anyway. But um, just uh, even watching on TV, what's the atmosphere going to look like? Just it's going to, again, we're all going to 20 years from now and 50 years from now, we're all going to tell our grandkids about just watching NBA basketball in a bubble and when there was COVID happening. So I have no idea what to expect and hope that everybody can get through it safe and healthy and that we can crown a champion and that everything goes as smoothly as possible. But we just don't know at this point, which is a little scary, but also very intriguing in a way. Yeah, I'm super excited. Like, I'm excited for the three Suns games that they said were going to be ex- ex- exhibitions. I'm like, can I please see those? <laughs> right, I know. I, that, I, cause, yeah, Monty Williams was breaking a little bit of news. And I was like, wait, are we going to be able to watch those? Because I know there's usually, I feel like there's one 
in a normal season, there's like one or two preseason games every year that isn't on TV. And oh so gosh, I remember like listening. You listen on the radio, but the problem with that is that TV and radio are going to broadcast from Phoenix. They're broadcasting remotely, not just the Suns broadcast team, but every broadcast team except for ESPN and the national partners, I think. And so I don't think that's possible either if they have no TV monitor to watch. So are these games just going to happen and we're going to get a box score at the end of it like it's a high school tournament game or something like oh, that it's going to be wild like we're all just going to be studying these box scores and trying to interpret what happened and it'll just be absolutely bonkers but i think we're going to get tv of the actual Orlando games right yes yes i'm just talking about the preseason games. oh the, like the exhibition ones like yeah the, or the ex- yeah excuse me the like the suns games. ones playing okay so they're okay that makes sense Those i was like games that monty williams was talking about i'm like wait are we going to be able to see these or no but yes all the okay. all the eight all the eight seeding games are going to be on Fox Sports Arizona and yeah, broadcast like, on the radio, which is great. Um, but there might be some mystery, like basically closed door scrimmages that we just don't uh, even get to see because they're not available anywhere. So they need to get up to speed again because they need to watch those uh, ligament injuries and stuff like that. Got to get back up to speed. But man, I cannot wait for July thirty first. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. I am looking forward to it just because it's gonna be unlike we've anything we've ever seen before. And what I like too is that it's gonna feel kind of like the NCAA tournament where there's games all day, every day. And when you're when you're watching March Madness, which we obviously didn't even get this year because of all of this, it's like who cares? You you don't. It doesn't matter if. If Duke's not on TV or North Carolina or whoever, it's like I'll watch some random four thirteen game yeah. with some mid major because you just want to watch basketball. So I think that's yep. how it's going to feel, even even for these quote unquote lower profile games that, yeah. that we'll be watching. Absolutely, it's going to be so exciting. I'm curious what you, if you. I mean, I'm going to ask everybody to kind of meet in the last next couple of weeks about this. But um, do you think there's going to be an asterisk on the season for the worse or the better? I mean, I see both sides of this coin, and I actually tend to side a little bit more, I think, with the players and coaches who are pushing the, yeah, it should get an asterisk for being way harder than mm-hmm. most championships, because, again, this is just, no one's ever seen anything like this before, so, no, I mean, it'll always be memorable, for sure, I mean, this whole year, there's going to be documentaries and movies and books and tell-alls written about all this type of stuff, so... Um, yeah, it, it'll definitely, if it doesn't have a physical asterisk on it, it's going to have, people are going to remember the 2020 champion is, oh, right, that was, that was the COVID year. And I, I think it's going to have more of that than like a lockout year or something like yeah, that sure. where, yeah. And so I don't, I don't know if, um, just it'll have an asterisk at least in my mind but i think based on just all the variables and adversity and the weirdness of all of this i think it'll probably be a harder championship to win than than easier so do you think it's gonna be like like bigger fluctuation statistically like do you think it's just definitely lakers clippers bucks or do you think it's someone else i would still tend to think that those are the teams that'll rise to the top but i would not be stunned if something strange happened um if they had if they had really overhauled the system and somehow made it like best of three or a single elimination or some of the weird ideas that were thrown out but you know while we were just trying to figure out what this could all potentially look like then yeah you've obviously got more wiggle room for a a true cinderella or something very strange to happen but to me obviously the, the biggest what if or the biggest variable is 
if a, a team has an outbreak or if somebody, if Giannis or LeBron or Kawhi gets COVID and can't play for two weeks, then obviously that would really change things in, in the same way that Kevin Durant popping his Achilles and Clay Thompson, you know, yeah. tearing his ACL in the finals last year. Like things happen, obviously, but if it's, if something awful happens where, yeah, like half a team gets sick and they're all quarantined and can't play, then, okay, this is not saying it's a, not a legitimate championship, but it could really swing something one way or the other unexpectedly. Absolutely. So, so exciting. Can't wait for it. Oh my gosh. It'll be so good. Basketball all day long during right before football starts. Oh my gosh. It's going to be great. Um, so let's move over to journalism stuff. Uh, in terms of journalism, what would you say is your number one rule for writing? And then we'll do number one rule for locker room. For writing as far as like writing a story or like yes. how I think of ideas or, or what specifically? A little bit of all that. I want to hear it all. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for, for like physically writing a story, um, I think the most important rule, and maybe this sounds like a cop-out, that it's to find what works best for you, because I've seen people, not necessarily argue, but people try to, you know, maybe give some advice or, or say, oh, you don't need to worry about doing this, or oh, you need to worry about doing this, and to me, truly, it's it's do what works best for you, so... When I'm writing a story, um, kind of my process is once I've done all my reporting and I've transcribed everything and I've done the research that I need to do and I'm like ready to actually physically write it, um, I am definitely, I'm a big outline person just because that's how I gather my thoughts. And I know some people that don't need to do that, that can literally just start from the beginning and write it straight through. And my brain does not process it that way. Yeah, that's, so, that's how um, I always wrote yeah, and I just, I've learned that that's how I need to do it. And that even, I feel like before I was a journalist, like I think even when I would write like papers in school or essays or things like that, I still think I, if I remember correctly, I still think I use that type of process. Mm -hmm. So I like will physically, um, and just to like keep everything straight, I will like outline and I outline in all caps. So if you were to like look over my shoulder and look at me writing a story, it would look like I'm like yelling at myself on the page <laughs> because I'm trying to just organize all my thoughts in the order. And that just, again, makes it easier for me and I can move stuff around. And if something transitions better or flows better, then I can easily move it and I can easily see it. But that's sort of, um, and that's whether it's a deadline game story, that's whether it's a big big feature, um, any kind of story, I just have to do that. So I would say that's probably my biggest, um, my biggest, not even necessarily tip, but just advice is just to find what works for you and, um, you know, maybe take some suggestions from people, but don't necessarily like say, this is how you have to do it because everyone's kind of got a different process. Yeah. The only thing you have to do is make sure you have a story at the end of the day that accurately portrays what they said. And exactly. gives a good vision of what happened. <laughs> That's all exactly, you actually Exactly. Do. However you get to that end point, great. Um, but just figure out what works for you. Because if I were to try to change my process up now, it would probably take me five times as long to write something. But yep. if someone were to probably use my process, somebody else, then it would probably really handcuff them too. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, find what works for you and, and go with that. And what about the locker room and getting people to engage with you and building the trust that lets them not be PR um, robots. Yeah, I think, um, and this isn't necessarily just limited to the locker room, but just being around, and that sounds really yep. basic, but True. just being being there every day, and also I think trying to engage with people just 
where you're not always going to them for information, where it's just you say hi, or how's your day going, or how's your family, or if you're on the road, like, go eat anywhere cool, like, just having that actual human-to-human interaction, I think, really goes a long way, and is, is a part of a job that I really enjoy, because then, if you do have a hard question, or you have a um, serious topic you want to d- dive into with them, or you have some sort of story idea that you like to, you know, write a piece on and it involves them or something like that, then I think they're more um, open to those types of things. And and also after games and stuff too, and, and this was, I was particularly lucky with my previous job that we didn't have a ton of like at the buzzer deadline work because I would always be the last person in the locker room. I would never leave before other people. And so sometimes that would like, you sort of learn people's schedules as far as, because they do, they have, sounds silly, but they have like a shower schedule of like who's out first and who's the last to leave. And so usually like Aaron Baines was one of the last guys to leave, but he, and he wasn't always, you know, he would always talk. Like, he never blew me off, ever, but he's way better at talk. Like, he's way better as far as being engaging when there's less people around. And I think mm-hmm. most people are like that, but yeah. I would always try to wait him out or, you know, just wait for whoever was the last person in the locker room because it, things tend to thin out as far as media is concerned. And you might be able to have a short one on one conversation with somebody, or you might be able to just like pull them off the side and ask them one question off the record, or there's all kinds of opportunity if you just wait people out. So that's, um, that's what I would say as far as just, you know, working the locker room is be a human being and, (laughs) and engage with them like they're humans. And usually that ends up working in your favor. And that also shows them that like you're a human too, and that they don't need to give you the side eye or they don't need to be skeptical of you. Like when people, you you start to, it's very easy to learn what people are about and that goes both ways. And so I just try to be as, you know, personable and, and thoughtful and engaging and respectful as I can. And that usually works out pretty well. For sure. I mean, I remember going up and uh, I think it was Paul Coro doing that. We were talking to Dragic before the game and that was great because there was no one else in the locker room. They were all trying to stay back in the other areas. Um, back in the day, years and years ago, it feels like. Um, but yeah, so then I always was, I was, I was very much more about the analytics part of it, the uh, game planning, coaching part, rather than the uh, story part or the uh, other stuff. So uh, I'm just, I love that we all have diversity of how we approach the game, also, um, and just definitely understand that for sure. I would definitely a write it and then try to edit it and work on the transitions afterwards. Part when I was writing back in the day, and so just so much difference to that. And understanding them as a person and their story and how that fits into the team team concept, just such a fun such a fun thing. Yeah, it's the coolest part about the job. It's why I love what we get to do because you do sort of get to help lift the curtain. And I think also too, once players sort of understand that that's what you're going for, whether it's you know in, in maybe in my situation a little bit more, it was to try to kind of find that human element or the process of of why they're doing things a certain way like that Mm. there's that but then also even with you and like numbers like if you're asking questions about why are you approaching things this way or why are you like if you're if you're asking questions out of genuine curiosity and genuine understanding I think that gets a lot of respect as opposed to um you know sometimes the media gets this reputation and sometimes it's it's 
earned in a certain yeah. way mm-hmm. when people are trying to ask gotcha questions or people are trying to ask questions to like get a saucy response from somebody and that's their only goal and like I see that not necessarily like in our little media core here in Phoenix yeah. but you see it on the road you see it when you know a, a reporter you don't know maybe comes in for a random practice or a random game yeah. and and players don't like that and I wouldn't like that either if someone was asking me questions just to get a response that they can play or on a you know or put on Twitter or something like that so yeah if you come at it from a very like I said genuine curiosity genuine being like I'm just trying to understand either why'd you run this play or why are you shooting this many three-pointers or hey how did you you know, as a, as a kid, how did you develop your shot or how did mm-hmm. you, who were your biggest inspirations? Why do you do this the way you do this? If you come at it from a very genuine point of view that you're just trying to understand them and trying to portray what's happening in the most accurate and thoughtful and truthful way possible, then I think that really, really goes a long way as far as just kind of gaining that mutual respect. And that's always how I have approached the job for sure. And for sure, and that's how you get the best answers too. That's how you get the best stories by doing, being actually genuine about it. Yeah, definitely all that stuff about just like gotcha questions drives me crazy. The hot takes, I yeah. can't get it, can't handle them. And uh, I guess the number one journalism 101 question is don't ask a talk about question, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, or don't ask a question that you already know the answer to or something. Yeah, yeah. And, and there are ways to, like, I understand where the talk about cliche comes from, or I understand what a reporter that asked that question is trying to get. They're trying to get you to describe something. They're trying to get you to go into more detail about a certain part of the game or a certain element or, or whatever, but there's a way you can frame it in a question that's going to get you a deeper, richer answer. And so that's, that's always the goal. And I will say that once or twice in my life, I have fallen into that trap before. And so I don't, want to shame anybody that does that <laughs> but there are some people that that's literally all they ask and it's like come on can you actually form this in a question yeah would you please so, expound upon your mindset during that time <laughs> exactly and again there are certain there's I, I understand what they're trying to get but it's just not necessarily asked in the in the most um thoughtful or or best way i guess so yeah absolutely um, why don't we end our time with that because we're coming up on our time here in terms of your favorite um, story that you wrote um, or something like that in the last uh, year or so. Yeah, well, there's a couple that come to mind when I think about my time covering the Suns. Um, the first one was actually the first game that I covered for the, like covering the Suns. Oh, and yeah. it was DeAndre Ayton's you know, NBA debut. And oh, so rather so than – Yeah, and, and so I just – followed him around the whole, I mean, not the whole day. I didn't like go home with him or things like that. But um, I I remember at shoot around, I asked him a lot of questions about his morning, what he did, and then then sort of circled back after the game. But like before the game, I just sort of tracked him the whole day. And I kind of just wrote this piece about his uh, his NBA debut. And so that was really fun. And I think kind of a, a different way to sort of approach a game story and was thankful that I was kind of able to go a non-traditional route with that. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as other pieces, um, I, I mentioned before that Aaron Baines has been super fun to cover. I've really enjoyed working with him. And part of that is because I did, when he got off to just the crazy start when DeAndre Ayton was suspended, mm-hmm. I, I wrote a pretty big profile about him. And he's obviously got a really unique 
backstory in that he's from Australia, didn't start playing basketball until he was basically a teenager in high school, um, you know, played at Washington State, then went overseas, then came back, and has just kind of had this really unique journey. And because he's got such a kind of different personality, like people have just some great stories to tell about him. Like yeah. I talked to Tony Bennett, who was his coach at Washington State. I talked to the assistant coach there that recruited him out of Australia. Um, I talked to Luke Longley because he's on the Team Australia staff. Like, wow. just I got all these really cool perspectives. That's that was really fun. And again, that's a really enjoyable thing for me to do is to talk to these people that have been key in their in their lives. Um, I talked to his brother so about growing up in Australia and just getting all these really cool perspectives about a person is, is something that I, I really enjoy. So those are a couple ones that, that really stick out. And then also just, um, you know, covering Monty Williams obviously yes. has been really interesting as well. And so there are a couple pieces that I wrote about him that I, I enjoy, particularly one before this season where uh, I, I talked about the, or the, the piece was about um, – his relationship with James Jones and the mm, one season yeah. that they spent together in Portland and sort of how that carried through both of their careers and are now reuniting here. So yeah, there's again, th those types of stories that either sort of give a glimpse into a player's life that sort of lift the curtain on what's going on behind the scenes or sort of explain why something's happening or how it's happening or who are these people that are making it happen, um, those are the types of pieces that I really like to do and I feel like um, can really, uh, it, you know, be be of value to readers who soak up anything and everything about this team. Absolutely. Well, uh, yeah, that was some great stuff. It's a good conversation here. Thanks for coming on, Gina. Why don't you give a plug in all the stuff you got going on right now because it's, it's starting to be a lot of good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, so to be totally candid, for those who maybe don't know quite yet or haven't figured it out, um, I was unfortunately part of the athletics layoffs on June 5th, and so um, no longer working there, but in sort of as I figure out what's next in the long term, um, I kept coming back to the fact that I just really had a desire to finish out this season, mm -hmm. and so I created my own newsletter and website on Substack, and it's called Valley Tales, which of course plays off of the whole Valley Boys mantra. And so you, you can find that at Valley Tales, B-A-L-L-E-Y-T-A-L-E-S dot Substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com. Mm -hmm. And you can either read stories there or you can sign up for the newsletter. And then anytime a piece gets published, that'll go straight to your email inbox and right now everything is free um i will most i will well i will definitely start um a subsc paid subscription service once games get underway but mm -hmm. even then i will still try to keep select pieces free just because i know a lot of people are going through some tough financial times right now and yeah. and so i want to make sure that people can still read but that is the the primary place you can find me right now but um, yeah, I'm excited to see what potentially is is happens down the road. But for now, that's I'm going to keep writing and keep reporting. And if you liked my work at the Athletic, that's the I'm, my goal is to keep giving the same type of coverage. So that's where you can find me now. Very good, Jim. I'm already subscribed. Can't wait to see what you do here. This is gonna be great stuff. I thank you so much for your time. I'm going to put this out here. It's going to be some fun thing. Uh, if anybody have any questions, again, uh, hit me up on Twitter at Eric underscore Saar, E-R-I-C underscore S-A-A-R. And Gina, why don't you plug yours as well? 
Yeah, so my Twitter handle is just my first name and my last name. So it's at Gina Mizell, G-I-N-A-M-I-Z-E-L-L. Very good. Thank you so much again, Gina. Have a great day, everybody. Uh, check back for more stuff. Have a good one.